Over the past two days, we had a gospel and race conference here at New Life. We had over 275 folks, part of our gathering here, New Lifers, leaders and pastors from around the tri-state area, some coming from different parts of our country. And it was a really wonderful time of learning, a time of worship, really a really powerful time of experiencing the presence of God in our midst. Uh, we'll have a, a video out, I think, hopefully in a week or so, just to give some highlights of, of that day. But it was a really wonderful time. And one of our speakers uh, yesterday is our guest speaker today, Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. Uh, Dr. Brenda earned a Master of Divinity degree from Fuller Theological Seminary, a Doctorate of Ministry from Palmer Theological Seminary, and was awarded a, a Doctorate of Humane Letters from both North Park University and Eastern University. She is an ordained pastor in the Evangelical Covenant Church and serves as a member of the pastoral staff. She's actually the interim lead pastor at Quest Church in Seattle, Washington, a really wonderfully uh, vibrant church in that area. Uh, Presently, Dr. Brenda serves as associate professor of reconciliation studies in Seattle Pacific University, where she also directs the reconciliation studies program. She was featured as one of the 50 most influential women to watch in Christianity Today in 2012. She's the author of Roadmap to Reconciliation, a really fantastic book that you should all pick up, Roadmap to Reconciliation. A Credible Witness, another wonderful book, Reflection on Power, Evangelism, and Race. And The Heart of Racial Justice, How Soul Change Leads to Social Change. She resides in Seattle with her husband, uh, Dr. Derek McNeil, and are the proud parents of two young adult children. Now, uh, Brenda was here, I would say, uh, almost 10 years ago, and uh, I recall vividly, we used to have an evening service, a six o'clock service, and I recall vividly a word she preached some 10 years ago. I don't remember what everybody preaches, but I remember that uh, vividly, and it reminded me that there's preachers... And then there's preachers, preachers. And uh, Brenda's a preacher's preacher. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she read the yellow pages and made it sound anointed. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, just, just make it just, I'm like, this, Lord, that's right, that, amen. And so uh, I'm so thrilled that she is with us. She brought a profound word at our first service. And I know uh, you're going to receive a, a, a feast from the word of the Lord uh, this day. And so whenever we get a guest speaker, you know what we do. We don't just give them a little, oh, we're glad you're here, a little pitter-pat here. We give them the biggest ovation we possibly can. And so give Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil a Queens Boulevard welcome as she comes in. Well, thank you. Well, yes, I would come back just for that. Thank you so much. I really thank God for the privilege of being back here at New Life. I really do believe in this church. I feel aligned with this church. And in this stage of my life, I try my best to do those things that I truly, truly believe in. I was saying to our executive pastor that at this stage, my goal is to align myself and be in solidarity with people that I trust and respect. And I trust and respect you. Pete and Jerry is so good. This is the friendship that got me here in the first place. And so to all of you, I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is my honor to be in this place. And I feel overwhelmed with emotion because I love you so. I believe in you so. So with those things being said, and before I get teary and can't preach, let's let's listen to the word of God. I'll be reading this morning from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then Acts chapter Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So would you direct your attention to your Bibles or to the screens in front of you and listen now, not just with your ears, but with your hearts to the word of God. In Acts chapter 1, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then Acts chapter 2 says this. When the day of Pentecost had come, 
They were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men and women from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Eliamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own languages or tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord, and we're thankful. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, the song that we sang in preparation for the word of God is true. We want you to speak to us because it changes us. Hallelujah. And so, Lord, we just want to pause and say, speak, Lord, for your children are listening we want to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So, Lord, we bring you now our undivided attention. And we declare that we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we thank you in advance for what you will say to us and how it will change us. For we declare it so in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. This morning, I'm preaching from the subject, Shake It Up, Becoming World-Class Christians. And this reminds me, this notion of being shaken reminds me of something that happened in history, October 14th, 1947, to be exact. Captain Chuck Yeager did something that no other pilot had ever been able to accomplish. In fact, other, uh, other pilots attempted to try it and failed, and not just failed, failed in such a way that they plummeted to their deaths. One after the other were trying to exceed the speed of sound. And so they would get in their aircraft and they would uh, begin to push the throttle and go faster and faster. But as they approached Mach 1, the centrifugal force, the pressure on the aircraft began to make it shake so violently that the instrumentation panel would literally explode. You couldn't even read the dials anymore. The pilots would become disoriented. They would often lose consciousness, unable to stay alert, so they'd faint and then lose control of the aircraft, plummeting to the ground, crashing airplane after airplane, jet after jet, trying to do what no one thought was even possible to do. Undertakers would come and wait for the the whole purpose, prior to the mission, they would wait on the side knowing that their job would be 
to take another casualty away. But on this day, in October of 1947, Chuck Yeager got in the aircraft like other pilots before him had attempted to do, and he too began to push the throttle, and he too experienced a shaking that caused so much pressure to be exerted on the plane that his own fears began to swell, but as opposed to pulling back, he continued to press forward. He pressed forward against his own uh, uh, conscious uh, uh, attempts to stay conscious. He pushed forward in his own attempts to get afraid and want to stop. He pushed forward even though he too could not read the instrumentation panel. He pushed forward even though he too began to wonder if it was possible. He could not even communicate because he couldn't speak. That's how much pressure was now being exerted on his own body. But somehow or other he defied the odds, did not pull back. He pushed forward and he broke through the sound barrier on October 14th, 1947. And as opposed to killing him, he experienced a tranquility on the other side that no other human being had ever experienced prior to him. Shake it up. Becoming world-class Christians. That's exactly what Jesus is calling his disciples to in Acts chapter 1. He says to his disciples, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and ultimately you will break through the sound barrier and find yourself in the ends of the earth. You will indeed become world-class Christians. And it sounds as if Jesus is suggesting to them and to us that it will begin in Jerusalem. Ah, amen, amen, amen. Now, if ever you hear something that makes you just can't help, it, help yourself, uh, amen doesn't scare me. I don't lose my place. I don't get confused. I don't wonder what was coming next. I get better if you get better. Amen. I do. So, so that quietness, yes. It seems that Jesus is suggesting that whatever is going to make us world-class Christians starts at home, Jerusalem, where we're from. Amen. Everybody's got a Jerusalem. That's the place where you like the food. Amen. Where you know the streets. Amen. That you get the jokes in Jerusalem. Amen. Jerusalem. Amen. People know you. You know them. It's our comfort zone. Jesus says that this trans, uh, uh, transmission from one barrier to the next will begin in Jerusalem. Now, the interesting thing about Jerusalem is because it's home turf, it's our home base, it can be deceptive. And we might think that being a witness in Jerusalem is easy, but au contraire, I want to suggest to you that Jerusalem can be very difficult and very challenging because it's where people actually know us. Uh-huh. Amen. They know us well. Amen. They know us when. Uh-huh. Which might make the witnessing thing a little tricky. Amen. It might be why it's easier for people to, to, to think about going someplace far like Papua New Guinea. Amen. And be a missionary because we're not trying to talk to our uncle at the dining room table. I wish I had time. <laughs> Amen. It might be easier to do something on Facebook and put your fists up in the air than to challenge the racist joke of your friend saying, you know, you know, that's Jerusalem. It's tricky. It's easier to be bold and brave when folk don't know you. Much harder. The, the shaking starts in Jerusalem. Every time you try to stand up for what you say you believe and everybody's wondering, what's wrong with you? Why are you getting so radical? And man, you used to be fun and you ain't fun like you used to. You know, somebody, I'm talking to somebody. And so Jerusalem 
it's a challenge, but that's where Jesus says you'll start. You'll practice in Jerusalem, and then the plane will shake, and you will be tempted to pull back and try to be nice like you used to be again. Amen. But something will ask you and demand of you to push it forward. And before you know it, you'll find yourself in Judea. Somebody say, Judea. Judea is interesting, a little bit weird because Judea looks like Jerusalem. You might think it's almost like Jerusalem, Judea, you know, just like stepping from one, the, you know, from a city to the suburbs, from one borough to the next. It almost looks like it's the same place, but that's the deceptive part about Judea because even though folks might look the same and it can lull us into a sense of false security like we got this. The truth is Judea has subcultures in it. Places where put people look the same on the outside, but they're really different on the inside. Aha, uh -huh, there's particularities in Judea. And once you start to get past the surface stuff in Judea, you begin realizing that there are real dividing lines that cause people to see themselves as either in or out. It's like if I were to say to you, everybody's the same. And then I say, Republican, Democrat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Protestant, Catholic, rich, poor, gay, straight, national, documented, Judea. Do you feel the plane pushing us, scaring us now? Wondering if it's possible. Whole denominations break up in Judea. And Jesus says, don't pull back. You will learn to be my witnesses by grappling with these complexities. Learning to stay together in the midst of the shaking of it all. I feel this thing. Hey, God. And Jesus says, as you begin to break through the sound barriers of Jerusalem and Judea, you will find yourself in Samaria. Now, Samaria is not subtle at all. Samaria is where they don't like you and you don't like them and you're clear. Amen. There's no pretense. There's no, amen, no facade. It's where you don't want to be and they don't want you to be. Amen. Samaria. Everybody's got one present company included. Amen. And it's the place that you don't want your picture taken with them. Amen. Amen. And people wonder about them and you wonder, can God do anything? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and where is that Samaria for you? Where is that place where you don't know if God can do anything there? God says that the complexities of Samaria are necessary. That's where we're going to have to really grapple with nationality, gender equality, social class, age, ethnicity, politics, religion, tradition, the divisiveness in Samaria will literally scare us. It will get angry. It will get polarizing. We will want to pull back on the throttle and we will fear that it is not possible. No, not in Samaria. But Jesus says you will go there. And now you're getting closer to the ends of the earth because the divisions here will scare you. and You'll have to depend on my power. You'll have to depend on my spirit in Samaria. You'll have to understand that your charm and your capacity to negotiate and navigate won't work in Samaria. I feel this is true of us. Samaria is where otherness will overwhelm us. And we will feel justified in not being with them. But Jesus is suggesting that we will not be ready for the world if we can't figure out how to do it in Samaria. That's where we practice becoming world class. That's where we learn to really grapple and depend on God. Samaria is the place where our outsiderness gets pushed to its limits. And then Jesus says, that will push you 
into a place where you'll start to be ready for what I have envisioned for you in the world. And so the disciples like us hear what Jesus has said to them and they're scared. They hear the word Samaria. It turns their stomach. They can't imagine that he really means there. Nobody goes there. We avoid there. So instead of that, we'll stay right here. And that's exactly what the disciples do. They go in the upper room and decide here is where we should stay and have prayer. Yes, surely God would like it if we stay here and have prayer. So, and I am for prayer. I am a praying woman. And so there's nothing wrong with prayer. And I'm glad that they chose some leaders. I am into leadership development. But that is not exactly what was said to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You'll be my witnesses and you'll You'll be breaking sound barrier after sound barrier after sound barrier, but you'll have to go there. But instead, the disciples huddle up and decide to stay here. Hallelujah. So much more comfortable here. So much more familiar here. So much more holy here. Let's have a holy, a holy huddle and stay right here. A pastor friend of mine in Chicago said this about the word here. She said, here is a place on the way to there that distinguishes somewhere from nowhere. Here is a place on a way to there that distinguishes somewhere from nowhere. At least I'm here. Why you keep asking so much from me? Because I came, didn't I? I'm here. What more you want? Elijah in the Old Testament was supposed to be the prophet of God who would challenge and criticize and critique the status quo and did so with Jezebel got scared when the plane began to shake and Jezebel came after him so he hides in a holy huddle of a cave and the spirit of God has to go in a cave find the man of God and ask one question what are you doing here How does God move us, the people of God, from here to there? I'm glad you asked. Because if the truth be told, I think on some level, every one of us who's trying to mobilize the church is asking that question in one form or another. How do we get the people of God to move from here and go there? Well, I am beginning to realize that it takes what I call a catalytic event. You see, I remember in science class, even though that wasn't my necessarily my jam, amen, I, I, do, I do remember that in, in chemistry class, they talked about something called a catalyst that causes or accelerates a, a, a chemical reaction. Amen? A catalyst. It, it initiates or increases the rate of a chemical reaction, but it is not consumed or altered by the chemical reaction. A catalyst. A catalyst is something that you pour into a solution that allows it to get shaken up and ignites something, starts something, accelerates something, mobilizes something. A catalytic event provides an opportunity for movement. It is the thing that shakes us up. Amen. And without a catalyst, we stay stuck in our own comfort zones, in our own little ethnocentric circles, in our own holy huddles. It's our human tendency to gravitate toward that which makes sense to us, that which we can reason. And without even knowing it, we slowly pull back on the throttle of discipleship and give ourselves permission to stay here. Without that catalytic event, we would not allow the shaking that will transform us and deploy us into a mission that changes the world. So God sends a catalytic event into the prayer meeting. Amen. 
Amen. They are in Jerusalem, in the upper room, and they are praying, doing what good Christians ought to do. Amen. Having a normal prayer meeting. They know how to do this. There's certain things we're good at. We know how to do certain things. We just know this is when you stand up. This is when you bend down. This is when you pray. This is when you close your eyes. This is when you open your eyes. This is when you greet your neighbor. This is when you don't greet your neighbor. We know how to do church. So they were doing what they know to do, and they were praying. I'm not there, but my holy imagination says somebody said, yes, Lord, I agree with John. Yes, we're so grateful you've been so faithful. Yes, what Mary just said. We agree. And so they were having a normal prayer meeting, and somebody said, whoo, and, and what, what, whoo, getting hot in here. Yes, it is. Are you, uh, somebody looks around, are you on fire? Yes, I'm fired up for the Lord. No, you on fire, fire, fire. Folks, I said, fire, fire. And then people jump up. It becomes pandemonium. Oh, somebody starts saying, because they want to say, send some water. But instead, they say, wanna. I say, fee way. They were, what? Somebody else said, glory. I oh, somebody else says, come somehow, neither. Oh, before you know it, they are having this international gathering. Oh, I feel like preaching. Good God of mine. All of a sudden, they are having this uncontrollable, ecstatic experience that's empowered by the Holy Ghost. They're not in control of this. They can't contain this. And before you know it, they are busting out of here and they are going out there. God. And when they get out there, the world is waiting for them. You see, this was the Feast of Pentecost, and people from all over the world had come to them. And they were absolutely astonished at this multicultural, multilingual, multinational diversity expression of faith. They had never seen the people of God act like this. They were kind of ethnocentric, these Christian folks who were following Jesus. But all of a sudden, they had become so culturally competent, so interculturally credible that people were asking questions. They were saying, what's happening with them? Aren't these the same ethnocentric kind of homogeneous people, Galeans, that they used to be? How is it that we're hearing them speak other languages? Not just the language, but the nuances of the language, the subtleties of the language. They sound so precise and intimate in their use of our terms that they sound like my mama's talking to me. They're speaking in my mother tongue. You'd have to have lived with us to know how to say it like that. What's going on? What's happening? What does this mean? This is when Peter preaches his very first sermon. And it's the moments where the prophets of God have got to do the work of interpreting the move of God. That's why I've stopped by today, because I believe that we too are in our moment where diversity is all around us and people are asking questions about it. Some people are becoming so frightened and they're saying, what does this mean? We hear of the violence and the hatred and it's scaring us and people are saying, what does this mean? Is God still good? Is God still able? Is the church still relevant? People are asking real questions and they want to know, what does this mean? And some people are speaking into the vacuum and they're saying it means hunker down and defend yourself and build a wall and keep them out but Peter stood up and he said you don't have to be afraid of this this multi-ethnic multilingual multinational expression is not drunkenness we are not out of control this is what God promised This is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on everybody. Sons and daughters, rich and poor, young and old will 
prophesy. You'll hear my voice coming out of people that you would have never expected. Somebody has to stand up and interpret in this day. What does this mean? And so I want to give you my testimony. In 1986 was the beginning of God putting me in the cockpit of my own plane, pushing me past my sound barriers. And it was the beginning of me becoming a world-class Christian. I had never really traveled outside of the United States to speak of at all. I grew up in Trenton, New Jersey. I am a home girl. And I'm the only one in my family that has gone to four-year college and graduate school. And I'm grateful for what God gave me. And I was just glad that I made it out the hood, let alone go somewhere around the world. But in 1986, our professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, Dr. Bill Pinnell, was invited by the Oxford Center of Missiological Studies to come to England and to bring a team with him. He brought a team of seminary students, all African-American. My husband and I were a part of it. A pastor, a person who was a worship, who is a worship leader. He brought those of us who could speak to various aspects of the black church. Now, I'm sure you must be wondering, as were we, why has the Oxford Center for Missiological Studies invited a group of black folk to come and lecture for three weeks in Oxford? The reason was they had done a study that was asked of by the Anglican Church. The Anglican Church at that point, and I understand continues to face this, was going through a very serious season of decline. Churches, beautiful, old, gothic buildings that had been built to be these beautiful edifices of worship were being closed and turned into theater companies, office space. One was a library, another was empty. But these beautiful, old, ornate buildings were no longer functioning as churches. And when a church ceases to be a church in the Anglican tradition, it's called to be a redundant church. Now, we got a few redundant churches. <laughs> we just do. Redundant, redundant, revolving, no longer generative, no longer on mission. And so they were trying to figure out what happened and what should they address. Their research said that it was the combination of urbanization, industrialization, and the diversity that was coming into England as a result of those changes. And they were now asking, as they did their study, what churches seemed to thrive in areas where industrialization, urbanization, and multi-ethnic diversity starts to happen? How do churches stay open in environments like that? And they discovered that the black church in America, amen, seemed to have a way to stay a church in the midst of those changes so they paid for all of us to come to England and to lecture on every aspect of the black church in America and I'm here to tell you it was amazing up until that point I never ever was asked by anybody about my testimony as an African-American Pentecostal Christian woman I was embarrassed to talk about my faith tradition because as soon as I talked about it, especially in graduate school, there was this look of snootiness, amen, that came over folks' face as if it was just you were inferior to be a Pentecostal, that you just somehow never thought any things that was, you know, you, you, you. So if you were Presbyterian or Episcopal or something that sounded more distinguished, you could say that, but you just couldn't say Emmanuel Tabernacle. That's where I came. And so you just, you kept it to yourself. You kept it to yourself. And so here in England, I'm telling you, people came to study at Oxford and they were taking notes on us, literally copious notes on us. We were talking about testimony service. They said, could you say that again? We were saying, well, you start by saying, I thank and praise God. Oh, okay, let's. Thank and praise God. I was like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. 
My husband lectured on the family. He's a psychologist, and he lectured on the role of the family in the black church. And another brother talked about the role of, uh, uh, of the pastor and, 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 and the, the, the structure of the church. Don Thomas, a dear friend of mine, he wrote the song, Anointing Fall on Me. He was on that trip with his wife, Levon, and he led worship. And my God, the fire of the Lord fell, and they were just taken by every aspect of that which we took for granted to hasten this to a conclusion on one of our last days there as a treat they said we were going to go to a place called Birmingham Birmingham was the community where the the Jamaican community resided and Birmingham had had amen I see you and Birmingham had gone through some very difficult times because classism is real and we didn't know the story. We learned it when we got there, but the Jamaican population that had been recruited after the world war to come and rebuild England were asked to come and in a hope that they would become British came, had children, their children's children had children, but they never were received as British because without uh, saying it, classism said, you might live here, but you'll never be British. So the black British, those offspring of those who came to rebuild after the war found themselves in an identity crisis. And there was social upheaval that happened as a result. None of this we knew. So when we pulled up in the van in Birmingham at the church that we were going to hang out with and be with everybody, I thought we were coming for our family reunion. I thought we were going to just have a great time, eat good food, listen to good music. This was what I was looking forward to. And I will never forget the one young lady who came to the front of the group when we were getting out of the van. Her name is Mavis, and I thank God for Mavis. She became my first international teacher. We got out of the van, and I thought everybody was going to welcome us with great joy. And she said, where have you been? And then she began to light into us as black brothers and sisters. And she said, didn't you hear what we were going through? Didn't you understand the plight that we face? In the United States, you can be anything. But here, because of classism, we are stuck in this underclass. And you did not come. You did not stand. You did not care. And as we listened to her lament, None of us said a word because we couldn't. At some point, we literally just said we didn't know. And the reason we didn't know, my brothers and sisters, is because we were so focused on our own pain and our own plight that we weren't even thinking that anybody around the world was waiting for us. We had no idea that there was a world who saw us as having something significant. We had no idea that there were people waiting for our solidarity, waiting for our story, waiting for us to come and care. We had no consciousness that God could use us around the world. And so as I conclude what I believe I've come here to say, I wanted to declare to new life that the Lord is trying to push you. I believe that the catalytic times in which we are living is trying to mobilize us and everything that we feel will want us to pull back on the throttle. But I came as your sister in Christ to tell you, don't push back, don't pull back, push forward push forward. It's going to require new levels of trust. It's going to require you to take risks. It's going to require you to have faith. But I'm here to tell you there is more that the Lord has for you. You are not who you are by accident. You do not look this way for nothing. God has not given you these skills for yourself. There is a world waiting for you. And I'm here to tell you in the name of God, Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. It hasn't entered into your imagination the things that God has prepared for those that love him. 
So get ready, get ready, get ready. You're getting ready to be deployed for the kingdom of God as world-class Christians, as world changers. I sense it, I see it, I declare it. And we pray that God would make it so. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's pray together. As I close, I'm going to ask now for the prayer team to come forward. All heads bowed, all eyes closed, unless you are reading my lips. And I mean that sincerely. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Mold us. Make us. Fill us. Use us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. I want to curse in the name of Jesus our puniness. Lord God, there's a way that we see ourselves as small. We do not sense our global significance. And so God, I want to take this moment and ask you to enlarge our territory increase our sense of who we are in you pull off the puniness that has infected us so that we can't even dare to dream pull it off of us in the name of Jesus help us to know that there are children waiting for our arms to hold them there are young people who wait for me us to mentor them there's a mama who needs to hear our story there's a young girl who wants to be touched, who wants to hear about how we do beauty. Help us to know that you will take us to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and we'll come back with stories of how we saw the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven to the glory of God and to the, 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 the delight I sense that you want to bring delight to the church. So God, we say yes. Scared to death, yes. Shaking in our boots, yes. Knee knocking, teeth chattering, yes. But we say yes. So come for prayer. Even if now you feel like I'm scared and I don't know what it means, but I sense that this is true. Help me, Lord God, to break through the sound barriers that keep me stuck that I might go to wherever it is you send me. For I ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing. Our prayer team is here for the next five, six minutes. We're going to sing together. And if the Lord spoke to you today, and if you sense God's voice resonating in you, I want you to come up for prayer to receive it. Let someone pray for you, anoint you with oil. And if the Lord is speaking to you, let's just sing together and then I'll close us in a moment. But let's not leave here without coming up to receive what God has for you today. We have a prayer team on, on the top as well on the balcony. So if you want to receive prayer, uh, you can receive it up there. But let's worship, let's sing, and let's come for prayer.
Lift our hands. When you move, when you do what only you can do, it changes us, it changes what we see and what we see. When you come in the room, when you do what only you can do, it changes us, it changes what we see and what we Yes, Lord. Lord Jesus, we long for your spirit to be poured out on our lives, poured out on our families, poured out, Lord, in our workplaces, poured out in our schools, poured out in our neighborhoods, poured out on this country, poured out in this world. Lord, we give you praise. If the Lord is speaking to you today, we have our prayer team here. And if you sense the Lord pulling you, tugging you, disrupting you, disorienting you, we want to pray here as long as we need to so that you can get whatever God wants you to get. So our prayer team is here. If you're not a Christian today, I want to tell you Jesus Christ wants to disrupt your life. Disrupted with his love and with his grace and with his mercy. He wants to disrupt you. You came to the house of God today to be disrupted by Jesus. And he wants to pour out his life on you today. And so if you came here today, a friend invited you. You've been coming to New Life Fellowship Church for a while. You're trying to figure out this whole church thing. Jesus Christ is calling you by name. He loves you with an everlasting love. Broken and bruised for you on a cross. Resurrected on the third day so he can pour out his spirit on you. 
And if you're hearing this today, you sense something moving you. I want to tell you, God is speaking to you. And we have some folks here that want to pray for you. We have Steve and Juan who are going to offer the bread and the cup to you. And so right on the side here, if you want to receive communion, you can come up. Jesus Christ broken and bruised. When we take bread and dip it in a cup, we are reminded of the extent of his love. That, that he pushed the, the throttle all the way through until he said it is finished. And his love for you is everlasting. And so when we come and take the bread, we're saying, Lord, shape me into who you want me to be. So our prayer team is here. We have the bread and the cup available to us. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Dr. Brenda will be downstairs in the lobby area. So if you want to just thank her and shake her hand and just, yeah, just offer gratitude for the way that she poured out herself to us today. What a, what a prophetic word for us. What a word for us as a church family as a whole. Word for us individually. I believe God has spoken clearly to us. And so you can give her thanks downstairs. But as we close, let me bless you all. If you're watching online, you can open your hands as well. God can find you. God sees you as well. And so you can open your hands right where you're at as well in this posture of receiving. And so with your hands and your heart in this posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth of God's presence, bearing witness to the truth that Jesus Christ is alive, bearing witness to the truth that he has sent his spirit. And may those around you this week find something of God's life flowing through you, Something of his love flowing through you. Something of his mercy flowing through you. Something of his justice flowing through you. Something of his life flowing through you. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the empowering name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all. Our prayer team is still here if you'd like to receive prayer.